After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hi, everyone. This week's episode of the NCR Podcast is brought to you once again by the BetStamp app. One of the best ways to maximize your profits with sports betting is to have multiple sportsbook accounts, and there's never been a better time to sign up than right now. If you visit my page, betstamp.app instigator, you can get connected to a number of the world's most popular sportsbooks with their most up-to-date and current sign-up offers. There's a whole bunch to sign up for on betstamp.app instigator. And the key is, is when you're using that link and you're registering for those new sports books, you're automatically set to receive the best offer that those sports books have to give right now. I've actually been using the BetStamp app for a while now. It's been a really nice way to bounce between the different sports books that I signed up for to find the best odds at the best times and to bet on those games when I see fit. You can also sign up for the BetStamp app at that link. And again, that is betstamp.app slash instigator. That's betstamp.app slash instigator to take advantage of all of the great benefits that Betstamp and their partner sportsbooks have to provide and to support the podcast and everything that we do here at Two in the Box. Let's get come crazy in 2000. Back to the Instigator Podcast. Pleased to have you with us once again. We have a handful of things we want to talk about this week. Uh, one thing in particular we mentioned on the last show, uh, and that being the big news in the world of women's hockey. Uh, the PHF has been bought out. The PWHPA has ratified a new collective bargaining agreement in a move that is preparing for a, the launch of a new league in January. We're going to talk all about that here this week kind of like some of the ripple effects and things like that but before we start one one small thing in the world of the buffalo sabers and we actually didn't get a chance to talk talk about this when it first came out and that being michael pekka and mike weber moving on from their roles with the rochester americans but really more specifically as it comes comes around at least this week is now the replacements that the sabers have found for those two coaches and that being nathan page old friend nathan page and former NHL or longtime NHL veteran, I should say, Vinny Prospel. So, and again, Tyler, the, the you know the Weber and Pekka stuff came out weeks ago, and it was just you know we're in the middle of the playoffs, Cup finals, all that stuff, and there was plenty of stuff to talk about that really took precedent over those those two guys leaving. And so, as a result, we just never really got to it. 
Do you have any, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on those two leaving. I mean, really the, the only thing that I ever thought of as the news broke was, you know, this is the price that you pay for having a strong and or successful organization as teams improve, whether it be at the NHL or, or the AHL level, you're going to draw attention to your coaching staff. We, we talked about it a bit with the front office staff with, you know, the openings in Pittsburgh and Toronto. At, at some point, if you have smart, capable people working for you, other teams are going to take notice and they're going to want to have those smart, capable people working for them too. You know, aside maybe from trying to lure them to a higher paying job with the big club, which there are no openings at the moment, the Sabres were almost bound to lose someone along the way here. And, and this year is, you know, the first year that, that this came about. Yeah. And as you said, um, you know, this, this starts to happen as teams look at, at organizations that they think are excelling in certain areas. And, um, you know, you obviously can't go and pluck an assistant coach from an NHL team to be an assistant coach for your NHL team. So, um, you know, the obvious step when you're filling out your bench at the NHL level is, is to look, look at the AHL level, right? Um, and, and when you consider the number of young prospects and the development job that, um, you know, the Rochester staff has, has done, uh, I, I think especially Michael Pekka with the forwards and the power play, um, you know, it was a matter of time, uh, in my opinion, before he was either, I don't want to say he was either, but I, I, I'll say the, the Sabres were going to have to make a decision. You know, Kevin Adams was going to have to say, okay, like, you know, are we going to make room for this guy? Or are we going to lose him? Because there was, his time was clearly uh, short, you know, for Rochester. You know, it was nice that they were able to bring him back into the fold. But I think it was pretty evident that, that he was an NHL quality coach. So to be able to see, this, again, you know, we, we've said this a couple times too, about Kevin Adams kind of being in different positions, you know, for the first time, unique positions. And, and now, um, you know, this will be the first time he'll have to, or he's had to, because it's already been done, as we, as you discussed, uh, you know, kind of restock a, a bench down at the minor league level and hopefully continue the, you know, the, the, the train of, of development and players, you know, up the 90 here. So, uh, you know, hopefully his, his two new hires hit. And, you know, obviously, hopefully the two guys that left have some success as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, th- I don't think there's there's too much more to say on the matter. And, and then in terms of, of the hires, we'll see what comes of it. I mean, Vinny Prospel, obviously, he played over a thousand games in the NHL. He has been all over, long time with Philly, played a number of years in Tampa Bay as well. He, he, long time NHL veteran. He certainly knows the work necessary to, to get there. He can certainly impart that on, on Buffalo's young prospects that are in Rochester. Also, I think maybe notable that he is of European descent. So, you know, Buffalo bringing a few more Europeans over these last couple of years, a few more coming in the near future, and having someone who, who with that lived experience from coming over from Europe, also probably a benefit in some way, shape, or form. He's not Russian, but still, still an Eastern European, you know, background. I think I think that's that's helpful. Also, like. You know, this is just the the very reliable Wikipedia. You know, he was he's been in coaching for for a handful of years now. This is mm-hmm. not a guy that um, you know just wanted to get back in and 
and the right, Sabres. Yeah. He's not just he's not just dipping his toe in the water. Yeah, and it's not just yeah. like a Kevin Adams connection where they said, "Hey, you know, we'll give you we'll give you a spot on the bench here." You know, he was he's been coaching in in the Czech league, um, which has you know has obviously uh, you know produced some good talent. Yuri Kulik comes to mind, obviously, and and now you know according to his wikipedia page i mean he lives in tampa but he's the manager of a team in the czech league so he's obviously commuting back and forth or was commuting back and forth i guess the flight from from tampa up to to rochester will probably be a little quicker uh than over to czechia but it'll be interesting to see how how it goes um you know he's a guy that has been i I don't want to say he's been in the league recently you know because as the last year was a decade ago this year but like you said, eleven hundred games in the league. He's, he he knows how to he knew how to score. Played in the post lockout league, so you know he's familiar with it. And obviously, as those those European leagues um, get better in terms of prospect development, I think that's really an important thing. And I would I would assume that Kevin Adams and and the and the Brain Trust kind of did their their homework and looked at at his setup with his his check team to see how they were developing mm-hmm. uh, young players and the path and the methods that they were taking, because obviously that's the most important thing, you know, when you're, when you're taking a job at the, at the HL level is you want to take that next level, um, you know, those players to the next level. I mean, obviously a guy like Lucas Rusick is going to not be too upset. Uh, you know, he probably <laughs> grew up idolizing a guy like Vinny Prospel and now, uh, you know, to have him behind the bench, you know, hopefully he's a guy, you know, off the top of my head that, you know, Prospel might be able to just push to that next level. And then as for Nathan Patient, I mean, I feel like, does he not live in Rochester already? I, I feel say like he's, he's, he's part like of the furniture lifer. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a Washington York lifer at this point between his AHL and NHL career, to, you know, spent in Buffalo and, and Rochester. So as a guy who's familiar with the team, familiar with the organization, familiar with the front office staff, I, I a natural fit there. So, Again, not too much more to say about those two until, until we see what happens this coming season with the Amherst. To, to recap, Mike Weber and Mike Pekka out in Rochester uh, taking new jobs in the NHL. And again, that happened a number of weeks ago. Buffalo just this this past week announcing that Vinny Prospel and Nathan Pache coming in to fill those roles. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Moving on from the, the Rochester coaching hires and looking at maybe the biggest news maybe the biggest news in hockey this summer Tyler I'm sure I'm overlooking something else but the the change in power in women's hockey so the last number of years for those of you who do follow women's hockey for those of you who don't 
there have been no fewer than two leagues, whether it was the NWHL and the CWHL. The last couple of years since the NWHL changed their name to PHF, it has been the PHF and then the PWHPA. Those two entities have coexisted, maybe a friendly, too friendly terminology, but those two entities have run parallel paths, PWHPA touring North America, playing kind of like almost like a tournament type of setup, if you will, and then the PHF operating as a slightly more traditional league with teams in set cities, schedules, playoffs, etc. They were not good bedfellows, and there were a number of overtures, attempts at mergers, things like that, a lot of false starts. I remember probably going back well over a year now, Jeff Merrick noting on, at least on Twitter, that there was expectation that there would be a singular women's league for an upcoming season. Again, I don't know if that was 22 or 23. Either way, it didn't come to fruition, but this is a long way of saying that the wheels have finally been set in motion for that one league to come about. And in doing so, the investment body and the the controlling bodies of the PWHPA, these organizations that are involved with that, we'll call it a league for now, with that league, have purchased the PHF and all of their properties with the plans to shutter it, roll everything up into a singular women's professional hockey league, and operate it as such. Now, of course, this is massive news for for a number of reasons, not the least of which being anyone and everyone employed by those PHF teams now, for the most part, finding themselves out on the street, and that's players and staff. But also, this is what many, many fans have been asking for for, geez, probably 10 years now, if I'm not mistaken, going back to the Sochi games, if not Pyeongchang, so... We'll call it five years, but it's been a long time coming. And now the opportunity for all of the world's best women's players to collectively play in a singular league has come about. And then the other underlying factor here is the NHL has refused to get involved in any of these leagues, officially get involved. There have been NHL team involvements, but the NHL has refused to get involved until there was a singular league to focus on. So the opportunity for the NHL now to step in and create a WNHL uh, akin to the WNBA that exists when that comes, I don't know. It, it, that's a, a, a pretty big question mark still, but that door is now open. It's, it's been creaked open with all of that in mind, Tyler, when, when we look at this and, and you know, you and I are looking at this certainly from far, from far more from a fan perspective, not an insider perspective, but I take I take a look at all of this and how this is all unfolded, and I can't think of anything but positivity in terms of the development for the women's game and the opportunity for it to grow uniformly. The macro view, it's a positive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to take a step and kind of not look at it from any personal stories or personal views, and you can say, okay, so this they finally gotten their ducks in a row i mean at one point you know the phf which you know was it the was it the nwhl prior to that before their name change there was the canadian women's hockey league 
you know, that had a brief cup of coffee for a couple of years. And now obviously the PWHPA. So there's just been different iterations of, of professional women's hockey on, the, on you know, in North America for the basically, as you said, the better part of the decade here. And the biggest issue was that the NHL is saying, hey, we're not getting involved until there's one league. So you guys got to get in a room, figure it out, come to us, and and, and then we'll we'll get behind you, for lack of a better term. Um, and and now that that has happened, not that they necessarily got in a room, but kind of a kind not really a hostile takeover, but certainly like a Cleveland Browns moving to Baltimore type takeover of the PHF. Um, in the fact that none of their players had any idea until they were given three-hour notice to hop on a Zoom call where they said, hey, by the way, your league's folding. You know, now I, I guess the the real hard work can can get underway, right? Like, in right. theory, all of the big obstacles are 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 cleared. You've still got to do some some obvious stuff, right? Like there's, there's no name of the league yet. There's no logo. There's been some rumors about which cities would get teams, but as, as Stan Caston, who's kind of heading this up. And um, I think that's important to, to note too, Chris, is this entity has a lot of money behind it, like money that starts with a B they're involved with the Dodgers, you know, so th- this is not going to be a, you know, a short term enterprise. You know what I mean? I mean, I, 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 I don't know if it's going to turn a profit right away, but it's not going to be one of those things after five years of losing a couple million bucks that, that the doors are closed. And I think that's important. I mean, they have to, first of all, decide which cities they're going to play in. I believe it's going to be six to start. Then they've got to decide where in those cities they're going to play. You know, they have to make deals with, with arenas and rinks and all that stuff. Come up with a schedule. Like, I mean, this is literally coming from scratch. Um, and that's before we get into the player pool, right, Chris, which is really the, the, the crux of the league. You know, it's it's nice to say, hey, you know, this is finally an opportunity for the best of the best. But, um, you know, you're looking at probably 100 women that are, are not going to have a job. I mean, that, right. that, a, that A, don't have a job now and or B, won't have one in four months when training camp is technically supposed to start for this new league. And that's the, that's the really sad part about, about this development. Correct. Yeah. That, that is unquestionably the, the, the most negative takeaway of all of this. There's obviously fans in some of the cities, I'm not Buffalo being one of them who are going to lose teams. Buffalo is not expected to be part of the new, the new league, at least to start. And of course, there are a number of devoted fans of the Buffalo Buttes who, who are going to lose their team, and that's uh, that's obviously a, a, a very important factor to consider too. But yes, there are a number of players who simply, you know, with the influx of talent from the PWHPA, that level of talent that will be coming in is is going to push players out. There's no question about it. I mean, I, I think the PHF was operating from a talent perspective at a lower level than the PWHPA. Almost every single national team player or national team hopeful was playing in the PWHPA 
with only a handful of players who, who operated at that level playing in the PHF. There was just, there was a notable disparity in talent. Now the PHF was getting some name talent like Nora Ratu was going to come out of retirement to come play this coming season. There, there were talented players there, make no mistake, but overall, the influx of talent from the PWHPA is going to push a lot of players down depth charts and, and ultimately off of them. So that that's, you know, that of course, a negative for those players, you know, living their dream, they're able to continue their hockey careers beyond college or wherever else they were playing. And now that, you know, they're going to find themselves without opportunities. So that's a, a, a striking negative, of course. But I would also say that the, the flip side of that is a positive because you now have a full concentration of top talent in one league. You're not trying to juggle between the two. You're not, you know, I would even say on the on the lowest end of talent, probably in the PHF, you're not even dealing with players who maybe aren't good and aren't truly good enough to be playing at a professional level. And so as a result, your product could suffer in certain cases. So there there is a benefit to this, of course. And, and that's, again, talking to the macro, to your point, Tyler, from from the the macro scale of this that that's a benefit is that you're bringing all of your talent in house into a single house I should say and then you're able it'll be able to be dispersed accordingly and I would even add that it also helps then if players are if you're going to continue to draw players from Europe and, and the women's professional teams and club teams there and, and then just the the future of the game as well. Another you know key aspect to this naturally. Yeah. So th- those are the they're very well and they're very much intertwined because you're gonna ha- again you have players who aren't gonna be asked to come back. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you know the PHF and we have talked about this, um, you know, individually. Um, <sighs> And at least this is from from the Buttes perspective, right? Because this is the the closest you know exposure we have to mm-hmm. you know the artist formerly known as the PHF. And when the Pagulas were involved, I mean they were a veritable all star team. You know, Shannon Sabatos was playing in goal. Who was and they had Nicole Hensley too. From they had Nicole State. Hensley. Yeah. They had Jackie Greco. You know, the local U.S. Olympian was on the team. I mean, Shannon Sabatos was. At the time, I'd wager the most recognizable women's goaltender in the world. You know, they they made the Isabel Cup final three years in a row, I think, finally won it in, in 17. And, I mean, they were drawing, I, I the last I looked when this news came out last week or a week and a half ago, they were drawing about 1,200 people. Uh, when they were playing at the Harbor Center, which is more than like Canisius and Niagara draw to their games, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so so there is, you know, there's a market there. And and then obviously when the Pagulas, you know, for one reason or another, I don't think it really ever came out as to why they decided to to move their business interests elsewhere or, or, you know, remove their, their funding. You know, obviously the team, took a hit you know they they were they weren't exactly homeless but now they were playing out at the the artist formerly known as the pepsi center the north town center out there by ub um and you had you had girls that were division three players playing in a professional hockey league and and i and i say that not as a slight to those girls because it's great that they were able to do it 
Um, but obviously with the, with the combining of the talent pool, because it's not really the combining of the league, you know, one league is disappearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, with the talent pool combining, um, you're not going to get that anymore. You know, you're not going to have the girl from Cortland who's able to find a roster spot, uh, you know, in Buffalo or Connecticut or, or wherever. Um, and, and you know what, I think for girls that were at that level, um, you know, they probably, you know, were doing it more. Let's see if I can do this for a couple of years. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Versus, you know, there are girls now, uh, women, you know, I should say that were in the PHF that, that signed deals, you know, because their, their salary cap just went up there was all this, this news about how the salary caps going up. They had a cash infusion caps going up to $1.5 million uh, a team. The cap was going up quicker than the NHL cap for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you had some girls making six figures. You had girls making uh, $75,000 a year, which is, you know, that's enough to, to quit your day job. You know what I mean? If you're getting yep. paid 80 grand to play hockey, you can say, yeah, you know what? I think I can focus on this for now and put, you know, for lack of better term, real life on the back burner. And a lot of women did that. You know, some bought houses, some bought cars, some, you know, because they had signed contracts and, and now they not only have contracts, they don't have a league because um, the real crappy part of, of how the PHF had structured things was it was basically at will employment. Um, you know, those contracts are null and void and their severance is basically one twelfth of pay. So they get a month's pay and I believe they get benefits through September, you know, so that'll get them through a little bit, but you know, you have an awful lot of women now that are like, okay, what do I do? And, and, And when I say that, I'm not even talking about the the ladies that have come over from Europe to play in this league um, because the European leagues start earlier and have their rosters set earlier and there might be one or two that could go over there and, and, and bump someone off a roster spot there but at the end of the day I mean it's just a trickle down of of one less league of a hundred less roster spots and whether it's girls from the PHF, you know, that want to stay in North America that are unable to, um, or, or Europeans that either have to take a roster spot from uh, another woman in a European league or Europeans that, um, you know, can't get visa issues resorted out, you know, to come back and play in November. Um, you know, it's just, there's an awful lot of uncertainty now. Um, you know, I, I, I do wonder, you know, if you were to talk with Stan Cast and, and, and the powers that be in five or ten years when this new league, whatever it's called, and wherever the, the teams are, and it's ideally on solid footing. I, I, I wonder if you gave if you gave them a truth serum, how they would have done things differently. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of people that are, are 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 that have a lot of uncertainty in their lives. And especially, you know, I shouldn't say especially, but even even the women that signed for, for the six figures, you know what I mean? That, that is no longer an option. You know what I mean? Um, Michaela Grant Mentis was, was at one point the highest played payer player 
in in the PHF, and she was you know signed to that big deal by the Buffalo Buttes a couple of years ago before it was broken this summer. Um, but the highest salary in this new league, whatever it may be called, is going to come in around eighty thousand dollars. So even if you're, you know, a, a player like like Grant Mentis, who's who's good enough and and should, you know, take a spot in this new league, she's still taking a pay cut, and she's probably taking more than a twenty thousand dollar pay cut because she's probably not going to be a hot one of the highest played players in that league. You know what I mean? So I think everybody that is going to be able to gain a roster spot, come over from the PHF into the new league and, and get a spot. Like, yes, they'll have employment, but yeah, they're also going to have to take a bit of a shave on their salary. So it's, it's, it's a benefit, but also in the short term, they're also going to be pinched a little bit. I do think that some of this was necessary. I, that, I don't disagree. Yeah. The, the PHF in a, in a lot of ways strikes me. And here's the thing. I, I have been, like there have been a lot of people that have come out to speak positively and in defense of the PHF and how they're super disappointed to see that it's going away, that there wasn't more that could be done to try to save it or some, some or all of the teams. It, it, there, there, there is a notable and vocal fan base of the league with that in mind, again, and this is from an outsider, from a fan perspective, what I'm able to observe in, in seeing how these, these two entities operate, you know, we've had Jackie Greco on, on the show before. She played in the PWHPA Tour the last few years. Uh, her team won the championship just this past season in the PWHPA. And seeing how they operate, how they function, and again, it's a barnstorming tour. It is not a set. You know, they're not playing in set cities. It's a, it's a very different structure. It is just, it strikes me as a so much more well-oiled and well-run machine. Obviously, there's more funding and financing behind it, but the PHF comes across as very, dare I say, like Mickey Mouse in comparison, and and small time. It, it's just it just it's become it feels very very minor league in terms of how it operates. I like just using Buffalo as an example, and the Buttes have really gotten the short end of the stick here, I think, because. They come into the world, they're playing at Harbor Center, even before the Pagulas were involved. They're playing in a new pristine facility. The the locker facilities there, because they didn't have like a room like the Junior Sabres or, the, or Canisius does, but overall the facilities there are strong. It's a, it's a it's a good arena for that type of hockey, like minor hockey. Can, it's, it's a great home for Canisius, for example. And quite frankly, if, the, if it's a shame there wasn't room for them to give the Buttes a dedicated room because I think it, they would have had that much nicer facilities. But the Bagula step in, they pour a bunch of money into it. They really run it like it should be run. And for all, from every account, they ran it like an NHL team would be run. They, you know, they were flying. They, they, they had the meals, you name it. And then the Bagula step out. Shortly thereafter, the Buttes are playing Pepsi Center, sorry, the Northtown Center. And while the feature rink at the Northtown Center has its charm and it has wraparound seating, which is a nice feature to have, it is not, it, it does, it pales in comparison to Harbor Center. It, I'm sorry. It's, it, first of all, the rink is smaller. It, the benches are a joke. The locker facilities at, at Pepsi Center are average at best, I would say. 
and it's just overall the facility is not befitting of a professional franchise. Again, looking at it big picture, it just isn't. And I don't find much to take to glean from it other than saying not every team was playing on a level playing field and they weren't really going to have an opportunity to get to a level level playing field in some of these markets because if the buttes weren't welcome or maybe they couldn't afford to pay the rent at Harbor Center in that's a whole nother topic of conversation that we could have but you know if you're not able to play at a premier facility in your area are you giving yourself the best chance to succeed and that's something that i feel was going to plague the phf in a number of ways i just look at this and again maybe thinking more on the macro side of things but when i look at this this news coming out the thing i'm asking myself most is how does this benefit the game and the sport of hockey and then more specifically how does this benefit the women's side of the game because women's hockey is an area where growth can happen. There, there are only so many more opportunities to, to really grow the sport on the men's side. You, you can, you can find new markets. Obviously the NHL has had success in places like Vegas and it seems like they'll have success in Seattle and even places like Arizona where they have struggled have had some success stories. Granted, not all of these things are created equal, but if you can count on a certain number of hockey enrollment growth with NHL expansion, that's great. But how many more times can the NHL realistically expand, right? So that's another thing to to keep in mind. There are only so many opportunities to get kids in Cincinnati to pick up hockey sticks. You know what I mean? I look at the women's game and, and I'm, I pulled up the USA hockey registration statistics. I unfortunately couldn't find hockey Canada's. I, I was poking around for a while. I, I don't know if I was, I misspelling Canada or something, but I couldn't find it. I don't know if maybe it's not publicized, but for 2023, so 2022, 2023, Tyler, all players in USA hockey registered, registered with USA hockey was 556,000. Of that, that is 464,000 male players, 91,000 female players. Now, the statistics are a little funky because of COVID. Because the US, and USA Hockey publicizes all of their registration data. It goes back well over a decade. Uh, you, can, you can just Google it and pull it right up on the USA Hockey site. But you know, if you pull up the 2020-2021 registration data, USA Hockey lost over 100,000 players. They lost 13,000 female players. They lost nearly 100,000 male players, largely due to you know the inability to play the COVID pandemic. But if you roll back, and I, and I, I went back to 2016, 2017, so just on the, on the other side of the Sochi Olympics, just ahead of Pyeongchang, the overall number of players in the United States registered for hockey were 555,000. So really not much overall growth, but there was again, a massive dip in 2020, 2021. So there's some, there's some uh, accounting to, to, to do there to, to keep in mind because the sport was growing up until 2020, 2021. And now they kind of have to build back as a result. But what is interesting to me is when I look at the female registrations in 2016, 2017, according to USA Hockey, they had 75,000 registrants 
And now I look to this year and they're at 91,000 registrants. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So a 15,000 registrant increase over the past seven years, six, seven years, is a really strong rate of growth for a sport that is a not super cheap to get into and b not super easy to get into because you got to learn to skate you got to live near near enough to a rink there are a lot of barriers in place so third you know fifteen thousand people fifteen thousand women have signed up over the past six or seven years and again that even includes that massive dip in 2020 2021 where there was a you know humongous decrease in, in right. interest in the game but a lot of women came back to the game and they are still coming back to the game because the the overall increase just from last year over to this year, so from 21-22 to 22-23, was about 3,000 people. So 3,000 new players came to the game in the last calendar year. And so I, I bring all of this up, Tyler, because a bona fide women's professional league that can hopefully draw on some of the attention and success that the women's game gets from Olympic cycles can continue to grow the sport in those areas where growth is noticeable and and notable. And so whether that's in a region like Buffalo, if that's in the new England States, Michigan, you name it, that's a great, such a huge opportunity for the sport of hockey to find new players and for people to fall in love with it. And so that's why, like, again, I like, when I look at this whole thing, this whole, this is, you know, it's a massive takeover uh, of an existing company and there's a whole lot of work that needs to get done before January. I look at it and I'm like, I think this is just really positive. I really do. I'm excited for what it can mean for the sport. And I think there are some really cool opportunities that exist for the women's game for this new league. Even if the NHL doesn't get involved, even if the NHL wants to, to sit and wait for another two, three years, I I really think there are some great opportunities that exist for them. Yeah. But I, and I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on, on the differences. First of all, you made, you made great points in terms of growing the game and and the best way to grow it. And, 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 and the numbers that that back that up and and the potential to grow it further um but i i just i look at this and i don't think any of us said hey this is the way that these two leagues are going to be you know the two league issue is going to be resolved i don't think anybody picked this as the way you know nobody had this on their bingo board 
You, you mean like the takeover, like the the takeover, takeover and yeah. But you know, I, I look at the six teams in the PHF, and I'm just like, okay, I I'm not quite sure. You know, there had to be a reason why NHL teams were either not getting as involved as I thought or were involved as what at once mm-hmm. like the Sabres were or, you know, out of the six right now, there's one guy that owns three of the teams. So it was like, or owned. So it was like, you know, late 90s MLS type ownership you know with aeg oh, right. and everything yeah um but really the only team that had the support of their nhl city team was the bruins and the boston pride and you know they played at the warrior ice complex where they the bruins practice and you know i don't think there's any coincidence that i think the pride had won like the last three championships the only other team that had some sort of loose affiliation was uh, the Whitecaps in Minnesota with with the Wild. But last season, for whatever reason, and I haven't been able to figure out why, but they stopped playing at the Tria Rinks, which is basically the Wild's version of Harbor Center. So kind of the same thing where like the team was involved, but you can't practice here mm-hmm. um, or play here, which was was quite strange. And then you, you know, in comparison, you go and you look at the cities and I mean, you, you said it perfectly that it was kind of more of like a barnstorming tour where they'd go and play in a certain area for a weekend. You know, it was almost like, uh, you know, for the old high school hockey guys of the area, it was like the Midwest prep league where all the teams from the league would go to one school and everybody would play each other for the weekend and they go somewhere else the next weekend because the travel is just easier to all go to the same place i digress there a little bit but you look at the nhl teams that not only last year but over the last couple years have like pretty openly partnered up with them um whether it's sponsoring you know their their weekends playing games at their arenas you know they've played games at scotiabank arena in toronto they've played games in calgary um at the saddle dome Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, this past season they they played games. They had a weekend in Pittsburgh where they played at the Pens Complex. They played at the Capitals Iceplex. They played um, down in, at the at the Lightning facility. Um, I, I mean, they they are getting more inroads in in American NHL markets than the American based league is. You know what I mean? And when you can see You're that, right. um, you know, for example, the the championship for the PHF, they decided to have the best of three at the Mullet Arena with the Coyotes, which is a great facility. Um, everybody knows, you know, where, where the Coyotes stand. Um, you know, compare that with the PWHPA, who decided to go out and have their championship weekend out in LA and they partnered with the Kings, the duck, the crack, the ducks, the Kraken, and Coachella Valley, as well as the Kraken 
ownership group, Oakview. So you could just kind of see one group. I mean, because the PWHPA really wasn't a league. It was just a player's organization. But you had one group that I think had the name recognition of the players, which is most important, and was much more organized in terms of the money they had behind it, the sponsorship they had behind it by from, from you know, the teams they sponsor, Harvey's, Scotiabank, et cetera, to get into these markets where, you know, the PHF is left playing in Arizona and then the Buttes play like a random scrimmage in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was the strangest thing I uh, I can yeah, think of. Um, so like the writing was on the wall. You know what I mean? I think, I think that the PHF was kind of on, on life support for, for a handful of years. Um, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you're, you're going to look back at the PHF and say what it did overall for the game uh, by no means should be discounted because I think it really started getting the ball rolling to where we are today. Um, but Chris, I keep coming back to the point that you first made, and it's just overall, despite the short term and the immediate difficulties that a lot of players and staff, you know, I think it's important that, you know, there's a lot of staff of a lot of teams that aren't going to have jobs anymore. And there's going to be a lot of markets or potentially a lot of markets that aren't going to have teams and fans are going to be hurt. But as as difficult as it is to kind of, I don't say look past that, but look, you know, kind of see the forest through the trees, if you will, for the, for the betterment of the game. Um, I, I think this is really going to be sort of the springboard that, that women's hockey needs in North America. And I'm really, really interested to see, um, you know, A, which first six cities they pick, and yeah. B, you know, when we have this conversation 10 years from now, um, you know, what has it done for the women's game, not only domestically and in Canada, but globally, as it in more markets, you know, how have they been able to grow their footprint? Because I think there's definitely uh, a market to do so. Yeah. And I'm interested too, to see which teams come in. Cause I, I, and I could be misreading this and, and, and conflating it, but I, the Boston pride are not coming over. And I believe it was, it was even reported that Boston won't have a team maybe. Well, the original this... report, not to interrupt, but the no, original no, report I, I said, help said basically that there were going to be three new markets and three of the PHF markets weren't going to have team. Right, right. Okay. And 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 two of the I markets think it's two, two to guess pretty easy which are sticking around. Well, it was you know, I believe, you know, Buffalo and Boston were on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And I want to say the Connecticut Well was the third. That I would I would assume that Toronto, Montreal, and then that, they decide that between were, that were New not York and going Minnesota. to be part of the initial. But yeah, um, I think it was last week. You know, when when this broke, or a week and a half ago, because we were going to discuss this last week, um, and then we just had too much to talk about and wanted to obviously devote more time to this topic because it's it's very worthy of it. Um, since last week, Stan Caston has gone on and done some interviewing. 
with the athletic hockey show and Haley Sal- uh, Salvian, who's done a terrific job. If you're, if you're looking for more information, she's kind of, um, you know, resources one, two, and three to get really where this all stands. But um, Kasten really said basically that they haven't decided, they haven't nailed down which six cities and it's kind of a moving target, if you will. Um, I, I, I sure he kind of has to say that to some extent, you know, until contracts are signed, until it's on paper. Um, but, you know, the league wants to start in January with a training camp that starts in November. And if you want to start a training camp in three and a half months, um, you know, you you kind of have to have an idea of, of where you're going to be having these players play and live. So I would expect, uh, you know, sooner rather than later, you know, those, those, um, those six cities to be formalized. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I would, January is going to be here before you know, it. and training camp will be here sooner. And they're, these guys, these, you know, the players are going to need to know where they're living and playing. So they're going to have to get this nailed down. I, I'm, my expectation is Toronto and Montreal survive because they're two major Canadian hockey markets. Right. And I think they're the two most obvious starting blocks from the Canadian side of things. And then how you, you backfill the rest of the league is, you know, TBD. You know, does New York survive? Does Chicago get a team? Do they stick with Minnesota because there was an existing relationship with the Wild? The Whitecaps had a really long history of success in that area even before they joined the, at the time, the NWHL. So a lot of things to consider. The one thing I want to put out there, and this is purely hypothetical, and I didn't, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we are going to creep up on you know our our hour ish time that we usually go, but I do think there's one other thing that exists for this league, an opportunity that exists for this league that I would be really curious to see if they would pursue. And now, granted, the financial viability of this idea is probably questionable at best. So please understand, I, I realize that this is kind of a pipe dream, but. Given the state of women's hockey in North America, you have two competing leagues. You do have there are 12 teams worth of rosters right now. Whether or not all of those players are on the same level can be debated, but there there are a healthy number of professional women's hockey players right now as we speak. I think there is an opportunity, if they want to do it, for this new entity to make a true and honest run at using promotion and relegation as opposed to strictly the the strict North American model of regular season playoffs championships. That can obviously remain, but they could, if they wanted to institute promotion and relegation. Now the the machinations of this, uh, how it all breaks down in terms of talent level, talent structure, how it's spread, that is all, something that you'd really have to work out, but because they're starting really with a blank slate, I realize that some of these teams are going to come and go and the PWHPA, the dream gap tour existed with, with those six teams that, that toured around the country, but because you're starting from scratch and you're going to have your own version of the original six and with, uh, with some eye on growth in the future, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to say, yeah, we could have the 
let's just call it the WNHL for now, and then the WNHL version of like the G League, where it, it's not true farm clubs. There's an opportunity for those teams to earn promotion and then teams to be relegated. I it's I think it's something that that could be explored and practiced and truly practiced like it is in geez, I mean, virtually every European professional sporting league. Um, It's, I I think it, I think it could be done. And again, I think a lot of it is simply because this is, again, it's a brand new league and there will be a, there is going to be a surplus of players because there's only going to be six teams to start. Yeah. I mean, I think if you are going to do promotion and relegation, I think it's a, it's at least a good idea. It's a good discussion point because obviously, you know, none of the existing North American leagues are ever, ever going to do it. So Mm -hmm. if you have the opportunity to start a brand new league and want to try it and see how it goes, um, you can always try it. And after a couple of years, scrap it and, you know, whatever. Um, I, I think you would have to start the league with more than six teams to do it. I mean, I think you'd probably have to double it um, because, I mean, I mean, how do you do that? Do you do, you know, a three-team A league and a three-team B league? It's not, it's not enough for me. Um, you know, there's, there's roughly 100 women, give or take, currently on the PWHPA, uh, you know, roster list, if you will, from, I think, the 21-22 season, and I hazard to guess that that number for this past season was, you know, around there as well. And there was probably, you know, there's probably another hundred, you know, in the PH in the PHF. See so if you have two hundred, if you have two hundred women, you know, that in theory, you know, would would fill. 12 Ross, 12 teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are going to be women on both both sides, you know, in the PHF and in the PWHA that are are not going to make it, you know, because you have, you know, you're going to see top European players, you know, top Swedish, top Finnish players um, who come over and say, you know, I'd like to play with those girls for a couple months a year rather than just playing against them once every two or three years, um, you know, at worlds or at the Olympics. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have, you have the draw of, you know, if this is a truly stable North American league, which I believe it is and will be, or will be, um, you know, they will, um, become, uh, you know, view it as a more viable option. And obviously you have, you know, the continued NCAA route, you know, women graduating from there and, and wanting to continue. Um, so I think there's a, an option, you know, there's a possibility to, to do a, 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 a 12 team league, or at least a minimum 10, you know, because believe it or not, there are 10, you know, cause as you said, pro and regular pro rel is in every European sport in every European league in every European country. And there are pro rel soccer leagues with 10 teams so you can do it it is possible i promise um you know and i think what you'd have to do is you'd probably have to start the year off your first 
you'd have to obviously do at least the first year. And if you want to give them, you could be really freaky and say, hey, we're going to do running standings for three seasons and then split it. But at bare minimum, say you have 10 or 12 teams, you run a full season and, you know, say you have 10 teams and five teams make the playoffs, right? And you have that play in for four or five to make the semis and the finals. And, you know, those teams that didn't make the playoffs, team six through 10, you know, they play in NWHL two next year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the way it would work is, you know, if you win NWHL two, the team that loses that four or five, you know, playoff slash relegation series or game goes down. I think that's how you would do it. But I don't think you could do. I don't think you could do it with just six gate with six teams to start. Because it, it it runs into okay, well we got relegated, so we play the same two teams for four months. How does this go? No, um, yeah, you would need you would need a full. I, I should have been more specific. You would need to have a a full slate on that second yeah. level. And I'm I'm interested whether too. it's six and six, if it's ten and ten. Yeah, you would need to you need to like do the legwork, and maybe the maybe what they would really have to do is. You know, they play for their first three seasons with six teams. They expand to eight. And then as they, they've, you know, mine new markets and they, they see what's what's working, what isn't, then they have the opportunity to consider saying like, okay, now we're in Boston, New York, Toronto, Chicago, Montreal, Pittsburgh, well, and Philly. You know, it's and interesting. And we have the opportunity to, to expand into four more cities and we can split things up differently. You know, it's interesting, too, that, you, you know, you're bringing up these cities that you could potentially get into. And, and I just wonder, like, what is their business plan? Like, where does this league see itself in 10, 15 years? And, and I mean that as how far west do you want to go? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because as I said, the, P, the PWHPA played games in Calgary at the Saddle Dome. You know, there's a market out there. Um, you know, the rivalry series, I guess, you know, it's, it's sort of unfair to compare it literally. Um, you know, but those Canada U S series, you know, which, you know, is still women's hockey last I checked sold out in the places like Anaheim, you know what I mean? And, and, and women's hockey is growing, uh, in California and, and Colorado and places like that. Um, and there was a Calgary, the, the Calgary team exists in the CWHL. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, and I'm, sh- and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that women's hockey would, would be a decent draw in, uh, in Vancouver as well. You know what I mean? Um, it's just a matter of, you know, how quickly do you want to expand and you know if you truly want to be the best in the league, best in the world you know there are there are there are european leagues that are not quite as good right it, just like there are in every other sport there are ncaa conferences that are not quite as good as you know the big 10 is for women's hockey you know you have Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, 
all in the same conference, you know, it's a little different than Syracuse and Merseyhurst in the conference. You know what I mean? And that's not, that's just calling a spade a spade. Um, and, And what I'm bringing up here is, you know, how quickly do they want to expand and when do they view it as feasible without diluting the talent pool? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's not to say that you're going to go back to having girls from SUNYAC schools or, you know, from Wisconsin Whitewater playing in, in, in this new league. Um, and again, no, no, uh, disrespect meant there but you know if you expand too quickly it it sort of you know that that whole best best league in the world yada 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 kind of can kind you know sort of be taken with a grain of salt because it's like yeah it's the best league in the world but there's 12 teams and you know every team's last two or three forwards aren't that great or every team's right. yeah. third pair defense or fifth defenseman, however rot their rosters are, um, you know, probably isn't up to the standard if it was an eight team league rather than a twelve. You know what I mean? So you have to strike that balance as well. Absolutely, it, it's it's just something that's kind of been like been eat, you know picking at me a little bit. Is is this idea like mm-hmm. hey, you know, it's a brand new league that the they don't have to adhere to any one set framework? Whether or not that would help them attract fans, I'm not quite sure. But it's just something that was kind of in the back of my mind of like the opportunity is there for them to do something different, something new, and if new for North America, and something that that could maybe help set them apart. It's also possible that the NHL is or has already expressed interest in saying like we will be involved with you, we will partner with you in some way, shape, or form but we're going to have some specific ideas on how this all runs and they might have no interest in promotion relegation too. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's naive to think on arrival. I think it's naive to think that Gary Bettman or Bill Daly or both aren't uh, fully in the loop of what's going on. Yeah. 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 I think they're fully prepared to to jump in once they are comfortable with the health of the, the health and the direction of the league. Yeah. I mean, I think that'll be the next big story here too, really. I mean, Aside from aside from the obvious of you know deciding the city's naming and stuff like that, but well, I think for them too, it's 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 waiting the appropriate time. You know what I mean? You don't want to the day after the announcement say, "Okay, we're in." Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of need to to give it a little bit room to breathe. I would maybe expect a, a season or two. Let it get it. You know, let the league get its feet. Um see how how the powers that be are running the league and uh and then see you know jump in and say okay you know how can we help grow it yeah yeah no question and and that'll again that's going to be the, the the thing that I think a lot of people have their eye on now is is just when and and how does the NHL get involved you know are they involved from the get go because i i would say like it's a it would be a blemish to say, okay, we're starting our new venture. It's going to be called the professional women's hockey association here where our six teams are going to play. And here's how we're going to operate. And then three years from now, the NHL says, Oh, Hey, by the way, we're really interested in this. We'd like to use this name. We've had trademarked for 
I don't know, 25, 30 years. It's the WNHL. So now we're going to rebrand you and we're going to go through this whole song and dance again. And now it's people are asking questions like, okay, now who's in charge and how does this all work? And it's not, it's not clean. Right. So, you know, is this maybe something that maybe the reason that we haven't heard more on some of the logistics, you know, could they be negotiating with the NHL? I'm not sure, but that, that is the, the biggest question that remains is what involvement, if any, the NHL has, and if it comes from day one, or if it is at a time when they're more comfortable moving forward with the group. Yeah. And and that would make sense too, because obviously, like we said before, the initial rumors were that Boston wasn't going to be in there. And it's like, well, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, only the most powerful owner in the NHL, you know, the team that hit the, the group that his team had partnered with, all of a sudden is not invited to the new place or the new group. It's that's. Uh, it. I mean, let's just say that if 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 you know, I think I think they said in thirty to sixty days they want to have, you know, all the particulars sorted out. And let's just say that. Uh, you know, if if the first six teams of the women's league are something along the lines of like, oh, I don't know, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, New York, Toronto, and Montreal. <laughs> right, exactly. Perhaps there's some some NHL input. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, there has to have been some discussion, some some sharing of data. I, you know, the the USA Hockey numbers that you looked at. Um, you know, they would be silly not to look at that. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, well, where is this game taking off, and where can we take it to the next level? And I, I just don't, you know, when, you know, that that that, that, that no, I I refuse to believe there's not going to be a team in Boston to start until I see it. That just that just sounds completely nonsensical to me, especially, um, you know, if you want the NHL to help you out at some point or get involved with you, um, you know, Jeremy Jacobs is not one to start off on the wrong foot with so i you know who knows yeah exactly and it's all very interesting it's very exciting again it's uh, for as disappointing as devastating as this news has to have been for so many of the players in the phf overall it's a it's been a really big week for women's hockey and for the future of women's hockey and it's probably because I'm not a women's hockey player that I can look at this and just be like, this is really exciting. I can't wait to see what comes next. Cause it, it, again, it doesn't really affect me in that, in that way. It's, it's something that I'm able to enjoy as a hockey fan. And as someone who wants to see the game thrive and grow and be open and have doors open for people who haven't been able to play it before. But you know, the reality of it is of course, far more complicated and, and something that that probably is ultimately going to be overlooked again because the questions that are on the horizon become so big and and can be considered so important by so many people that a, a lot of the people who are going to be left behind by this in, in a way uh, you know are going to be very easily forgotten I guess you'd say and and, that, and again it's that's disappointing but you know on the whole it's it's a very exciting time for women's hockey it's a very exciting time for the sport of hockey. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we both agree, you know, the potential for this league um, with the proper funding, with the, the player pool that is now at its disposal. Um, I mean, think about it. I mean, they, they have their pick of the litter. Um, 
in North America, in you know, if, if anybody is 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 vaguely interested in coming over from Europe, there's one place to go now. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think once the you know the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. I really think that talent level um, is going to be really impressive. Um, and I, and I just, um, without looking too far ahead and trying to think of all of the little things that they're going to have to iron out and how they're going to do things. I mean, you know, I brought up the MLS a little bit ago and this is, this kind of strikes me as, as how, you know, is how that league started. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the salaries were modest. There weren't many teams. Um, there was a little bit of a hiccup. You know, like I said, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, MLS was eight teams and six of them were owned by the same guy. Um, you know, not to say that, that this new women's league will, will be dealing with that in, in five to eight years. But, um, you know, you you don't have to look far to see how how the MLS is doing right now. I'm not I'm not here gonna I'm not you know proclaiming that the women's hockey league is gonna have 30 teams strewn throughout the North North America, uh, you know, this time 2040. But at the same time, um, you know, for as as much as we had said, hey, you know, they're gonna be making less money. They don't know this. They don't know that you know, this is an unknown. How are they going to go about remedying this? I mean, I think it's, it's prudent in any venture to kind of start off slow. And, you know, the old added adage is what, you know, under promise and over deliver. So if they can, if they can get their ducks in a row and have, you know, a hiccup free couple seasons to start, then they can get the, the wheels really going toward what I think the potential of the league is. Very well put. Very, very well put. And I think we'll we'll end on that. It's, you know, we, the summer of inaction in the NHL continues, so we'll see if anything comes about in the NHL that gives us some talking points for next week because we are wrapping up this season of the podcast. We'll be, we'll be kind of on our the end of summer hiatus shortly, so we'll have a couple more episodes to wrap up before the, the month ends, and, and then we'll be on our way. But we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about all things NHL, probably some Sabres topics because there are still some unanswered questions with that group. So be sure to tune in then. And again, we appreciate you tuning in and, and listening, and we'll talk to you soon. So long. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours. The energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.